0: In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, Amen. Eternal Father, you called St. Philip the Evangelist to open his mouth and begin with scripture, tell the good news of Jesus Christ. By virtue of our baptism, we too are called to work for the salvation of souls. Instill in our hearts the zeal of St. Philip, that we may convert hearts and minds to your Son, Jesus Christ, our Savior who lives and reigns with you and the Holy Spirit, one God, forever and ever. Amen. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen.
1: Welcome to the St. Philip Institute podcast, where we talk about how to teach the Catholic faith. We will show you how to teach the people you encounter, family, friends, other Christians, people of other religions, even atheists. I'm Stacy Tresenkos, Executive Director of the St. Philip Institute of Catechesis and Evangelization. I'm here with His Excellency, the Most Reverend Joseph Edward Strickland, founder of the St. Philip Institute, and our new Director of Faith Formation, Luke Arredondo. Luke and his wife, Elena, have four daughters and have moved here from Tallahassee, Florida. Luke is completing his PhD in Religion, Ethics, and Philosophy at Florida State University and is ready to put his experience as a Director of Religious Education and a Religion Teacher in the Archdiocese of New Orleans to work here in Tyler. Welcome, Luke. We're so excited that you're joining the team at the St. Philip Institute.
2: Oh, thank you, Stacey, and thank you, Bishop Strickland, for inviting me on board here. It's really, really exciting to me. Um, I. I followed the work of the Institute and and Bishop Strickland for a few years and had told my wife that uh, I was going to apply for every job I could find, and then I was also just going to ask Bishop Strickland if he had any jobs, (laughs) and before I got to writing that letter, asking for a job that didn't exist, uh, you guys posted one, so it made it a little bit less awkward for me, and I'm just super happy to be here.
0: We're glad to have you.
1: (laughs) Yeah, we're looking forward to it. You're all settled here in Tyler now, and... Getting ready to start a new chapter in your family's life.
2: Yes, that's right.
1: Well, Luke will begin. um, He's getting settled. He will begin um, working with people throughout the diocese as soon as 2020 starts, um, helping build a network of master catechists. And as we pervade the diocese, as the institute, that's what we're going to say, pervading the diocese. We want to be perceived everywhere. Um, as we spread out and become a presence throughout the diocese to help people teach the Catholic faith and learn the Catholic faith, um, we also are going to focus on building up the, the people who are associated with the Institute beyond the diocese. Um, so we, we, Bishop Strickland has this um, picture, this metaphor of a tree, the roots are the diocese and we want to strengthen those roots and draw nourishment through those roots and and strength and stability. The institute is the tree trunk and then the leaves opening up to the sun, conducting photosynthesis, which I love <laughs> <laughs> Are bringing in other resources um, and connecting the diocese of Tyler to the rest of the global Catholic community in the global world we're just trying to evangelize we're just trying to bring everybody in the whole world to Jesus Christ um, we're What's starting all? here just. and we're not stopping here <laughs> mm-hmm. so that's what the Institute's doing and uh, Luke is uh, going to be helping us with all of that and uh, we're pretty excited about getting started with 2020 okay. Um, today, we are going to be talking about the incarnation. So, we're, we're focusing on the basic teachings of the Catholic Church, but you know, Bishop Strickland is very big on guarding the deposit of faith. That's because there are so many people, Catholics especially, and then other people that are not Catholic, that don't really understand what these basic tenets of our faith mean. And you got to know what you worship, you got to know what you believe um, and so we're, we're trying to just cover those deposits of the faith and we thought here in Advent, looking forward to Christmas, that talking about the incarnation would be appropriate. So what is the incarnation?
2: The incarnation is, is Jesus Christ uh, becoming man, God becoming man, becoming taking on flesh.
0: Yeah, I think the word, if you take it apart, incarnate, carne, um, is flesh. And for the eternal word to become flesh, that's the incarnation. Um, And I like to emphasize, especially in the context of the world these days, um, the teaching of the church, conception to natural death. Actually, the Son of God was incarnate um, nine months ago almost, Uh, with the Annunciation uh, when he became present in the womb of the Blessed Virgin Mary. And I I think that's important to emphasize. And as a scientist, I I think it it fits so beautifully with the mysteries of science um, and the wonders that we know now. We can pretty intricately describe what happens when a new person is conceived in the womb of their mother and that's the marvel of the incarnation the son of god the eternal word as john's gospel says he was there in the beginning Mm -hmm. as god's son the second person of the trinity and with the incarnation he becomes physically flesh present in this world
1: yeah
2: i also like the language of john's gospel that you know he he became flesh and dwelt among us he tabernacled among us or pitched his tent among us um, because it recalls the imagery of the Old Testament you know with uh, the, the tabernacle built uh, and the instructions that were given to Moses when God's presence is is a a cloud and, and fire you know fire and smoke is the presence of God and that becomes more real when Jesus Christ is incarnate in the womb as, as a as a baby and then is born that somehow God is more present in a in a child than in the fire and smoke right it's 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 uh so that that language is is really really neat um and and i think is important for us to remember
0: and luke you're you're already doing a great job um (laughs) working with me and and resonating pervading the diocese because as you're probably (laughs) aware and i i have to take the opportunity to emphasize it we've with the first sunday of advent um, launched a year of the eucharist and in my reflection uh, part of the year of the eucharist is me traveling around the diocese i've probably prayed in front of 20 maybe a few more uh tabernacles in the diocese and i have probably about 70 tabernacles to go (laughs) we don't have that many parishes but some have multiple (laughs) tabernacles and then we have convents and in various places where the Lord is tabernacled in that way. And, yeah. and to think of the the womb of the Blessed Virgin Mary in the same – it's the same Lord. Um, and in my own prayer before the the sacramental presence of the Lord in adoration, it, it that's something I reflect on a lot, that um, as hard as it is sometimes just in the human sense to – really enter into the reality that the Lord, the incarnate Lord is present in that consecrated bread that is there in the monstrance in Eucharistic adoration. To me, it makes it a little easier, even scientifically, to imagine, well, he was a microscopic presence initially Mm -hmm. in the womb of the Blessed Virgin Mary when he became incarnate. And that tabernacling is it, it continues. Um, I mean, one thing that I yeah. reflect on that really is the incarnation still with us. He says, "I will be with you always until the end of the age," and in the multiple tabernacles, it'd be really interesting. I mean, we can do all these you know statistical number searches and everything. It would be interesting to know just exactly how many tabernacled presence Mm -hmm. of the Lord there are throughout the world. Um, And so I I really love that you brought that word into the conversation because it's one continuous presence Mm -hmm. of the second person of the Trinity since that moment when he was conceived by the power of the Holy Spirit in the womb of the Blessed Virgin Mary, as the gospel clearly tells us. Um, in language that really fits very well with our scientific mm-hmm. understanding. At that moment, he becomes incarnate, and he's never left. Mm-hmm. I mean, it, to me that that's an impact that we really need to help people understand, in that when we celebrate the Eucharistic liturgy, the sacrifice of the mass at the altar, and I always love to say the most elaborate, you know, high mass, the most gorgeous choir, or the simplest Mass with maybe just the priest or a priest and one server, um, once again, he is present. in. He becomes present again in that bread that is consecrated, that wine that is consecrated becomes his body and blood, soul, and divinity. So honestly, uh, I'm sure Dr. Stacy has gotten used to it, and Luke, you'll have to get used to it. <laughs> Everything becomes eucharistic yes. for me, mm-hmm. and as we talk about the incarnation, mm-hmm. that um, I was thinking—you know—the Advent and some of the antiphons. Lord, come, Lord Jesus, come. And as I was reflecting on that, He's here. Lord right. Jesus is here, mm-hmm. and we need to really emphasize that to people.
1: Yes, because that being with Christ, like it's one thing to pray. We, we're, we pray without ceasing. Our whole life becomes a prayer. We're constantly asking God for the grace to do His will and conforming our will to God's will, conforming our, our, our intellect to God's truth. We're always trying to do things right in our mm-hmm. life, and your whole life becomes a prayer. But walking through life in your daily task, trying to figure out how to answer your kids or how to you know confront a problem with a friend or you know how to do, how to do the right thing— That kind of prayer, you are talking with Christ, but it's kind of like you're talking with him on the phone. He's there, and the grace of Christ is in your soul, and you're talking. But when you sit before the Blessed Sacrament, when you're kneeling in the presence, the true presence of Christ, the Eucharist, it's different. And that's something you don't find in a Baptist church or a Methodist church. It's not the real presence. It's almost like your whole journey of faith is by phone. (laughs) <laughs> and not in the real presence in the real re- I mean you can't have a re- real relationship or the fullness of a relationship with someone unless you're really present with them and in you know i can just describe it i'm sure i'm describing it for I- everybody who's done it people might say what what's the difference you're kneeling in front of the the blessed sacrament you're praying when you're walking th- down the road what's the difference you feel the difference you feel the difference when you're in the presence of Christ. I can't speak for other people because I can't feel what y'all feel—not <laughs> in your head, <laughs> but you feel you feel the presence of Christ there. You feel the grace. Hmm. You feel the you show the reverence because it's really Christ, and it's like you're really with Christ. But it's not just that; it's the the grace of understanding. When I take the worst problems in life before the Blessed Sacrament and kneel and pray you do get that grace of understanding um, because of your faith. And, you know, we encourage people to do that with your children. Even if the children don't quite understand everything we're saying, take them before the Blessed Sacrament to pray. Just do it. Do it often. Take them. Put them in the presence of Christ. It does make a difference. It does matter because you are truly there with God incarnate.
0: Absolutely. And uh, the the word that comes to me as you're talking is, a physical presence um, and that's I guess what I've reflected on is the you know the, the timeless Lord of the universe the second person of the Trinity God's own son becomes physically present in the womb of the Blessed Virgin Mary at that moment of conception and hasn't physically left since then um, and, and in, in what I read recently and in my prayer that emphasis of that is one of the aspects of the Eucharist is to be the Lord physically present here on this earth for all time. And when we talk about, you know, the church never ceasing, as long as this world never ceases, that in many ways, I think that's what it comes down to, is that with all the the institution and all the the outward manifestation of the church. Um, it's brand new there at every Mass. Mm-hmm. That he is renewing his presence. Mm-hmm. And so I love the word you started with, that the Institute is seeking to pervade the diocese and really beyond, because what the Eucharist is, is the pervasive presence of the Son of God throughout the world Mm -hmm. um, in tabernacles, at altars, literally as we're speaking, he's becoming present. Mm -hmm. Um, I'm sure as a scientist, and and I'm sure, Luke, with your studies, all of us who think about these things, I love to think about the the timeless God entering time, the non-physical Lord of the universe who created everything that is physical, becoming physical. In a place at a time. That's what happened at the incarnation. That's what happened when he was conceived in the womb of the Blessed Virgin Mary. God <laughs> became physically present in his own creation. And and part of the the reflection that I have with that is, talk about humility. Mm-hmm. Um yeah. and we, we talk about the humility of Christ in terms of well he was born in a stable, you know. And which absolutely, but it goes so much deeper than that. That the Lord of all, the the very source of life, Mm -hmm. the source of all that we call physical, the source of the universe that creates time, a timeless God, had the humility to enter into His own creation and become physically, finitely present in one place, as. The Son of God incarnate, he was there in one woman's womb and began to develop, as we all did, in the wombs of our mothers as one child, growing to the point of what we celebrate at Christmas. Nine months later, he's been on earth for nine months, and we celebrate at Christmas what we all celebrate with the human person, his birth into the world. Um, And it, it really... I just love to. I don't think I can reach the bottom of reflecting in prayer before the Blessed Sacrament that, at every Mass, um, that bread and wine become. I mean, it's it's kind of like repeating mm-hmm. <laughs> over and over again right. that it's the same reality, the same sacrifice, but it comes becomes Him really present in the world once again. So. Even as we're speaking, you no know, telling how many masses, how many altars where bread and wine are being consecrated somewhere in the world. Yep. And at that moment, once again, the King of the Universe re enters time and space yeah. and becomes physically present in a way that we can't explain. Right. We're not getting into Eucharistic theology yeah. specifically right. with this uh, talk this yeah. afternoon, but. In a sense, it always gets into that, that mm-hmm. the Incarnation, and I think that's what one thing that I've grown in, um, and hopefully we can all grow in, and in our prayers, and every person, every family attending Mass, mm-hmm. typically on Sundays, a good faithful Catholic at least goes to Mass every Sunday, but to really be aware that the Incarnation that we celebrate at Christmas is there again. Mm-hmm. Um, right. The Lord of the Universe re-enters physical bread and wine that is transubstantiated into that presence that is in the womb when He was originally incarnate. I could talk forever, but yeah. I'll, I'll let y'all talk.
2: I, I want to um, say that there's, there's of course, there's a really great parallel between the incarnation and, and the <laughs> Eucharist, um, and in both cases, you know, uh, there's a there's a line from Venerable Fulton Sheen. Uh, in, in one of the opening chapters of, of his life of Christ he says that divinity is always where you least expect to find it um, so he's reflecting on Christ's birth um, but the same would apply to to the Eucharist and the tabernacle like it doesn't make any sense for the lord of creation to be a child uh, any child but if it was going to be a child it doesn't make it any sense for him to be the child of you know poor family who does who can only afford to offer the the doves in, in the temple. Um, it doesn't make sense for him to be born in a stable. Uh, who, he who, you know, he has no food, but he's the source of all food. He's the source of everlasting life. Mm-hmm. Um, it, it's the same with the Eucharist. You know, how, how could that be in that tabernacle or in that piece of bread that, that becomes the Lord? It's, it's such such a mystery, um, and it's it's a beautiful mystery. And especially at Advent, both of those go together so well. Um, and what's weird for us, or or strange sometimes to for for me, is that Jesus is already here. It's an already, but not yet, like Advent. We're waiting for Him to come, but but He already did. And and the Catechism talks about this that the purpose of Advent is for us to prepare our hearts, like the Israelites did for the first time, to welcome Him. Uh, but we have the great advantage that we already know He's here, and we know where to look if someone will if if we listen to you know what we've been told and. Where where the gospels and what where the church says, um, but the, the the first the first encounter it was totally unexpected. Nothing made sense. He wasn't born in the inn. Fulton Sheen says the inn represents like all of the places, all of the popular people, and all of the the hip ideas. They they were they were at, at the inn, and Christ was outcast. But we know now that that's where that's who Christ is and where he is. Where to find him? Yeah. Um, there's, there's something beautiful about that.
1: It is. And, you know, getting back to the incarnation, like that word, actually, when I understood what that word means, that it means God becoming flesh or something incarnate means to become flesh, people use that word wrongly sometimes. Like they'll talk about things become—what they really mean is manifest. Things become manifest, but it's not the same as becoming incarnate. But but thinking about what happens at that moment of conception for us— there there was the sperm and the egg and when they first met and fused there's all kinds of chemical reactions going on but there was the life that the two became one and there was this life and for none of us no one knows exactly when that moment was that we first started to exist I mean it was when sperm and egg fused as far as we can tell scientifically but even the mother doesn't know when that happens like you're not sitting there going my child just first started to exist because you can't you have no way of knowing
0: no No perception right
1: there's there's not like little Martians in the womb that go hey we have a new one down here (laughs) it's just But it does happen. (laughs) (laughs) But it does happen. You know, like as a mother, I found that amazing that God alone knows when my beloved children first began to exist. That even I, who was most intimately attached to that child for the first nine months, I don't even know when that child first appeared in this world. God alone does. And that Christ came that way, too. It wasn't the same physical process of sperm and egg. We don't know exactly what it was because it wasn't revealed and there's no way to know. But it was just like a little peeking in through this little point in all creation and beginning to, to being man. And, and then growing, like you were saying. It's, it's just amazing, though. And then you have that time that the child is with the mother alone. Like right. when, you're, when your wife is pregnant, the child's there. You know, I used to say there's a new little Tresenkos in the world, but nobody else is touching this little child but me. <laughs> and and there's a mystery there. And then the child come, is born, and we celebrate the child being in the world. But it's really more like the mother finally sharing the child with the oh, world. Yeah. And um, I love thinking about that at Christmas, that, you know, Mary already was intimately— knowledgeable of Christ but long before we were, and right. then the child comes. It's, it's, very, it's a scientific mystery. It's a theological mystery, and, and it's, it's amazing to think there's this little baby that is the creator of the whole universe.
0: And I love to think about the, the immediate limitations that the, the choice of God to be incarnate Immediately, God is bound to a place, Mm -hmm. starting off in a place that even if we had microscopes, I mean, it would be difficult to see that place. It gradually grows Mm -hmm. until it's (laughs) baby-sized. But um, that humility again and that just taking on incarnation and what occurs to me, and that's what I think that all of us need to, to reflect on, um, the Lord lived as a man of this world for, tradition says, 33 years. And so, you know, when we get older than 33, things begin to, to happen. <laughs> but even at 33, I guess what I'm getting at is all the different aspects of, you know, one way of putting, I guess, is is the incarnate burden, the, the reality of being human and being incarnate mm-hmm. in this world means the Lord was either hot or cold or perfectly balanced, but he was feeling that, mm-hmm. you know, right. for for those 33 years. He was either wide awake or sleepy. He was hungry or not hungry. He was experience all all of those limitations or those realities. Um, some of it, I guess, is not really limitations. It's just consequences of being incarnate. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And so he embraces all of that package, all of the, you know, his, his hair's growing. I mean, back then, I mean, I've even <laughs> thought even in, in simple terms, <laughs> it's like, you know, how did Jesus brush his teeth? You know, <laughs> what did they do back then? They didn't exactly have Colgate and right. <laughs> and Oral-B toothbrushes. But he was willing to take all to that on. All that. Yeah. And, it, and another part of, I guess, to me, reflecting on the incarnation, it just keeps bringing back to the, the profound, unfathomable humility right. of God and, and his – that love that he had for all of us to be so humbled, to have to deal with being human. And even in the humility of, you know, you could come to a much more comfortable world in the year 2019 than the Lord entered. Mm -hmm. I mean, a lot of the things we take for granted, I mean, being in this room that is Mm-hmm. artificially heated, uh, with artificial lighting, <laughs> and all the things that we think are, we're so in control of, he entered the world where they didn't have any of that, yeah. you know. And it was pretty basic, bare-bones, human in the world that he entered into. And it, there's so much humility woven into that as well, just in the the idea of being a baby. I mean, you've had seven. and, mm-hmm. and even more with the, the pregnancies that didn't go full term They're you helpless. as parents know you know what it means to be a baby mm-hmm. and there there's a lot of mess yep. <laughs> there's yeah. a lot of uh, discomfort there's a lot to, to You're deal helpless. with helpless and hungry and you can't do anything about it um, so you know there's just it it, it really is mind-blowing to think just how much God loves us, that He gave us His only begotten Son. God so loved the world and loved each of us to to enter into the world. You um, know, I mean, come here to stay. Literally, from that moment of conception, like we've already said, He's stayed with us ever since. Yep. Yeah. Um, and that I think is, and uh, another part of my reflection is, I love the the mysteries of the Rosary and. Right after the resurrection is in the mysteries the ascension, and uh, even you know that image from the the gospels where you know it's like where did he go? They're 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 standing there saying looking up in the clouds and it's like he's gone. Man, we're we're sunk now. Yeah. But he goes to be at the right hand of the Father, having left himself to be here in the presence of the Eucharist. So. His incarnate presence has been here ever since that moment of the yeah. conception, yeah. and I think that's amazing.
2: I think it's uh, also <laughs> this, this mystery of, uh, you know, <clears throat> Christ redeems us at the end of his life, but there is a way, and the Catechism says that all of his life is redemptive, mm-hmm. um, and certainly the beginning of his life being in such a humble state and, and a poor circumstance. Uh, but but also you know his childhood and, and being obedient to to his earthly parents, uh, having to listen to Joseph and Mary. Uh, Fulton Sheen says that um, Jesus spent only three hours redeeming. He spent three years preaching, but he spent thirty years being obedient to mm-hmm. his to his parents, um, and I think that's tremendously important to not forget. That uh, when he's born, that's not the only humiliating moment for him. It, it really I means his whole life, uh, and that it's in part way redemptive. Like he's already beginning. So, so the I, I just keep – I read a lot of Fulton Sheen. So there's another, <laughs> another image from Sheen is that – I'm
1: so going to use that on my kids, <laughs> by the way. Yeah. Jesus was obedient for 30 years. <laughs> uh, he, he says that the,
2: the, the cross is not just at the end of his life, it, it it is there, but it casts a shadow back on all of the other moments of his life. So even when he's born, the gifts that are brought, you know, one of them is is a is a burial spice. Uh, that his entire life has this this element of it that shows you what's going to happen, and it doesn't become clear maybe till later. But when, what we can look back on it now and sure. appreciate that whole that whole stretch of his life as being in part way redemptive. Yeah.
1: And I always think back to um, the science of it, because there there was something. So Father Stanley Yockey's work that I studied, one of the things that sort of rocked my world when I heard about it, you know, why, why is this incarnational Trinitarian religion different from all the others? What makes it so special? Christ. But Father Yockey was saying that science was born of Christianity, that Christ was the savior of science, that, I mean, he goes farther than, than you hear other people going, that Christ had to come um, for us science lovers, for us, for modern science to even arise. But, I mean, what he's saying is in the fullness of time, Christ became manifest. In those days, those uncomfortable days, you know, that, that was... In the Maccabees revolu- um, revolution, when we and I think it was 168 years before Christ, there the king that was killing those the Jews for not eating pork and doing the things that their the faith of their fathers told them to do for not following God's laws or for wanting to follow God's laws and not His laws. The backstory on that was Antiochus the fourth wanted to be called Epiphanes. He wanted to unite a bunch of kingdoms, and invent a God that was—so it was like a man's invention of God that would be the one God for all of the kingdom that he was united. And he he changed his name to Epiphanes, which means God manifest. Mm. Not God incarnate, but God manifest. And he, the king, was the God manifest, and he was going to tell everybody what laws to follow, and the Jews wouldn't do it, and he was killing them for it. When Christ comes—and the ancient Greeks had this word— um, unigenitas and monogenes which meant only begotten. The Greek was monogenes and the Latin was unigenitas but it meant only begotten. Their conception of or of creation, well they didn't call it creation but their conception of the universe, the world that they that we now study as science was that it was one with God, that it was Um, God was imminent in the universe, the Mm. pantheism, that the world is God. The world is this one eternally cycling cosmos that is God, and it emanates from God. It's part of God. And it's radically different to have the incarnational Trinitarian religion where the only begotten is not the universe itself. The only begotten is the flesh and blood child. And there's a radical difference there. But because of that, the second person of the Holy Trinity, the Word, the Logos, rationality, who was there at the moment of creation, that's where we get this absolute insistence that there was a beginning in time Mm -hmm. and that the world is created with order. But the world is not God itself. We don't worship nature nature is God's creation. And so that view of things that I think it's easy to take for granted when we pray the creed now, it's like, duh, that's how it is, but that had to be there for modern science to start coming up with equations to define what happens if I drop this cup, you know, because it's following the laws of nature. But that that kind of fullness of truth, that that was part of the fullness of truth that christ's revelation to us helps us understand the the creation that we live in it helps us understand our relationships it's the fullness of truth for a reason
0: and as you talk about the that and the incarnation in these terms what the the conversation brings to mind for me is as you were talking about i mean the the redemptive suffering of jesus christ in a sense it all begins with the incarnation right. I and mean, that humility of of coming and it's it's entering into something of suffering for god to simply take on flesh to yeah. to endure that in a sense that that is as our mode of existence but it for god it was a a humbling act and and like you were saying luke i think it's important to to be very aware, and, and I love um, what Bishop Sheen said regarding those, what are often called the hidden years. Yeah. Most of Christ's life. Right. I mean, he, he pops back onto the scene, I mean, it's almost like a, a drama where he just does a very brief cameo appearance at 12, mm-hmm. saying, okay, I'm going to obey my parents. And then for the next, you know, couple of decades, he's that's where he is. And, and I've, I've prayed a lot and, and reflected a lot about those hidden years and why are they so hidden? I mean, mm-hmm. we literally have no idea what he did mm-hmm. uh, from Scripture and from Revelation. What? But what he did was be a faithful mm-hmm. young man uh, saying, I mean, he would have had his bar mitzvah at 13 <laughs> or so. I mean, and just taking all the steps, just like was referred to already at the presentation in the temple, they were faithfully following Mm -hmm. that Hebrew uh, revelation, that covenant with Abraham. Mm -hmm. They were faithfully following it that, you know, and the Maccabees fended off an attempt to break that down a couple of hundred years before Christ. And so here he is, the incarnate one, the only begotten son, he's living a very ordinary, very mundane life um, there in the, the neighborhood of Nazareth with mm-hmm. Joseph and Mary. We don't really know any details, but one thing that's my reflection, and it sounds kind of like it's connected to what uh, Archbishop Sheen was was getting at, is that because it's kind of a blank slate there, we can bring our own experience into what Christ would have experienced I mean and I love to tell the confirmation kids when at confirmation you know whatever their age maybe you know one kid in the pew is 15 um, Christ was a 15 year old young man with all the human reality of that Mm -hmm. being obedient to his parents and you know living very much in a different culture but you know I mean You've had 15-year-old kids. Your son's not 15 yet. Now. But uh, yeah. 15-year-olds, they're hungry a lot, yeah. f- at least for what I remember and what I've seen of 15-year-olds that yeah. got a lot of energy. My
1: 15-year-old daughter's taller than me. <laughs> yeah, they, they're
0: they growing. They're, yes. they're hungry. They're hungry in, in, in both spiritual and mm-hmm. physical sense. And that's what Jesus of Nazareth would have been mm-hmm. experiencing. He was getting stronger, and I'm sure – you know, I love to imagine even the incarnate aspect of being a man of work, uh, a carpenter's son. And from what I've read in, in recent years, the, you know, a, as a kid, I, I kind of thought of, oh, he's a carpenter. He's putting little furniture together or something. But very likely in that culture at that time, I mean, and I love to think about Joseph and Jesus uh, Working on a, a Roman aqueduct, maybe building the, the superstructure to maybe repair a place who knows? But yeah. doing big construction. Uh, I mean, I think that that's a, a great way to realize, I mean, who knows? Maybe he did maybe it was just furniture, mm-hmm. or maybe it was building houses, or maybe it was what we would consider a major construction site mm-hmm. that Christ was working on with the, you know, the Joseph and son. Uh, carpenter company you know but but i think to to allow ourselves and it's just imagination but it's it's kind of a a letting extrapolating the from he was a real male child who became a little boy who became a young man who became a fully grown 25 30 And then, of course, he began his public ministry and the world began to see him. But built into that, as you were saying, Luke, is suffering um, and limitation and heartaches Mm -hmm. and everything that any 20-year-old male of the human race experiences in very different cultures and very different Mm -hmm. times. But but the human heart really hasn't changed that much. mm and the king of the universe took on a human heart um that's part of the incarnation he had a heart he had toes he had hair he had everything that is the human package uh, a human being and in all the limitations and all the challenges that go with that
2: and there's a way in that all of those limitations throughout his the early years leading up to his his sacrificial death right that's that's sort of to to prepare him to be able to finally i mean he's going to lay his life down, you know not only he's become a i mean he's become a human being, and that's huge and we can't can't even really understand what that's like to be God, who becomes man, uh, but throughout all of those smaller stages he puts himself in a position to be able to lay down even his very life uh, for us which is which is tremendous i as, as a kid couldn't understand that but I, I did I did think it would be annoying. to to try if you're a superman to try and be clark kent um that's like on a much lower level like clark superman's not god he's pretty cool and i really like him but he's (laughs) he's not the creator of the universe um he's not the eternal logos for him to just walk at a normal speed or like drive be in traffic i mean like i I, I would think about that as a kid like i would have just ran you know i wouldn't be able to sit in a car in traffic like that'd be so frustrating i would just fly or jump or run or whatever um Jesus being being a person is like so much more self limitation because mm-hmm. he he created everything he could do really anything he wanted to, um, but what he had to do and what he was choosing to do is was, was die for us, and that's that's his whole life that's slowly building to that final moment where he really mm-hmm. does that. Um, I think that's I don't know if that makes sense or not, but no, oh, absolutely.
0: <laughs> to me, it makes a lot of sense, and I think that. Um, as, as we think about the incarnation, as we were preparing for our conversation, we talked about, you know, do we get into the heresies? Mm-hmm. And I think I, I think we made the right judgment for now, just to focus on the, the wondrous gift of the incarnation and the mystery that that is. But it does occur to me, and I think it's worth touching on, yes, there were many heresies. There yeah. are many heresies today
2: mm-hmm.
0: because yeah. the truth. Is so startling. Yeah. The truth is so astonishing. It's, it's like thinking. people people said early on, as he walked this earth, they're saying, you know, <clears throat> he he said he's the son of God. I mean, he can't, he can't really <laughs> mean that. You know, he's crazy or he's off his rocker, or he's been smoking something, or you know, something's wrong. And and even after the whole story unfolded, after he died, rose, ascended to the Father, and the church was forming. Right. Many of the heresies, and, and I've always thought this, and I'm certainly no expert on heresies, but each one developed. We've all probably had the same heretical thoughts of that some that just sort of took over that he couldn't really be God. He's just a really good man. He's a really yeah. good guy, but he's not God. Or... Okay, he is God, but he really couldn't be human. He couldn't have all yeah. those limitations. Yeah. He couldn't be bound to this earth in the in the ways it's that hard. get pretty graphic and pretty messy yeah. if you really think about it. Um, and so, the easier way is—that's not really the truth. It, it could, he couldn't really be God incarnate. And so, you take another route. Say it's more reasonable to think X. Right. And that's where the heresies develop and I think that's why they're they're alive and well in our time, especially so in the scientific world because mm-hmm. you know it's like, well, you know we'd have to be able to measure all this and we can't measure that and it doesn't make sense, so it can't be true and and so a, a lot of what the Catholic faith teaches people discard because it is so astonishing, but you know if you believe, um, and there's, there's great evidence that our belief is not just, you know, something mm-hmm. we fabricated, but it truly—the Son of God was incarnate, conceived in the womb of a virgin, and born in this world. That's what we are all celebrating as we prepare for Christmas, to, to recognize, absolutely, it's reasonable mm-hmm. that people would say, we got to find a find better it. explanation. We've got to yeah. answer this somehow instead of just being faced with the wondrous mystery of God's love that is manifest in Jesus Christ.
1: It's simple and complex. I mean, if you want to know what we believe, pray the creed, because it's all there easily in your hands, like having an app on your phone. You can pray the creed, and you always know what the church teaches. Those are the basics. But I remember, like— You know, I'm going to say I derived equations in physical chemistry class and stuff. And, like, no, I cannot sit down and do that right now again because it would take a great deal of work. But I remember the feeling of it, Um, the reasonableness of science, which I think is what people get so attracted to when they have to do it. But when you work through the chemical equations and, like, biochemistry, and in the physical equations when you get to physical chemistry it's so logical like it's a crazy way of thinking and if you're having to pass a test and derive equations which are going to be graded on you have to get it right every little variable every little plus or minus sign every little thing you do it's one little logical step to the next thing and the only way you arrive at the right answer is if you do the logical steps right there might be a couple of different paths to solving the problem but there's only one right answer and and it's, it's tedious, and it's so—like, I, I couldn't sit down and redo it now, but I had to do it at one point, and it was very stressful. It caused me a great deal of anxiety. I had that same feeling when I took the theology course on Christology. Like, I didn't know that. I didn't know you could think about Christ so much— I didn't know that you could take a whole course in St Thomas Aquinas's writing and it caused me great anxiety but it was the same kind of reasoning that the church gives us. So on one hand pray the creed and that's that's it. That's all that's what we believe. But on the other hand if you if you want to know how carefully the church has guarded this deposit of faith <laughs> through time when people were trying to come up with other ways that might have led to an easier way of thinking about Christ that made it easier to sin or easier to do what you want to do. If you look at what the church has actually guarded in the very precise language that we use to talk about what it means to say God became incarnate, it is something to, I mean, it is something to appreciate. It's a treasure. It is a treasure because it is every bit as rigorous as deriving the hardest equations in science. Part of the problem is a lot of people who talk about religion or say it's unreasonable, they haven't worked through that stuff.
2: Yeah. Yeah. And, and as you
0: mentioned the creed, I think it it really, I mean, we need to, to really pay attention to the creed in our time because there are so many people who throw, have thrown out a creed. They mm-hmm. don't believe. Um, but like you're saying... It, it's sort of, I, I think you can see it from two perspectives at least, because the creed is, is more or less an, uh, a basic outline of, of what we believe. Mm-hmm. But built into that, virtually every word is a volume. Mm-hmm. I mean, what got there is a whole volume yep. of truth that goes into that word goes here, and then the next word goes here, and, and a lot of hard work. So, in a sense, the creed that we profess at every Mass on Sunday um, is a, a condensation of mm-hmm. all the, I mean, all the deposit of faith, all yes. the, the truth that has been revealed to us. And so it, it sort of shrunk down to the, this expression. And, and I think we'd all agree it's much easier to just talk and talk and talk than to precisely say Mm -hmm. something. And that's what the Creed does. Um, Both versions, the Nicene Creed and Mm -hmm. the Apostles Creed, both condense, literally, centuries of, Mm -hmm. of reflecting and dealing with revelation. And what's remarkable, if you think about the Creed, it expressed, you know, after several centuries that this is what was laid down, and it's been... Many multiples of that yeah. amount of time right. since then, in its state. I yeah. mean, it's like the the wonder of God's grace and the Holy Spirit guiding mm-hmm. those who did all that study to get the formula right. Yeah. Um, I mean, how many things <laughs> do I write or yeah. any of us write that need to be revised? Yeah. Oh, you got to update this. There really is no update for the mm-hmm. creeds that's right. necessary what instead we have to continually bring ourselves back right. to, to that, that truth mm-hmm. because it's it's revealed truth for mm-hmm. one thing that's that's the advantage they had I mm-hmm. mean they weren't just the greatest minds or the greatest scientists ever but they had the advantage of being divinely inspired to mm-hmm. to pull all this together mm-hmm. but I think we really need to to pay great attention to the creed and at the masses on Christmas we will kneel at those mm-hmm. words of the incarnation.
2: Yeah.
0: And the word yeah. became flesh. And and I think we all need to just keep going back to that and seeing that it gives us a great outline, but understanding it's almost like, you know, we've talked about before, looking at one pixel
1: mm-hmm.
0: of, you know, the, you know, let's say it's a picture of the Sistine Chapel and you're looking at one pixel. That's what the creed is, it captures it all, but then it expands from there to the, the wonder of revealed truth, yeah. and, and we have to be able to, to kind of work from both sides of that mm-hmm. creed. It's, it's a very incarnational mm-hmm. um, statement.
1: Yeah. Pray the creed with your children, parents. Um, te- teach them the creed, and you will be teaching them the formula of the deposit of faith. I would recommend, though, that you have your children pray alone out loud for you on occasion because I always love to tell the story. Our youngest daughter, Lucy, um, she always had to pray with her older sisters. And one day I said, wait, I want you to pray by yourself. And so for years of her young life, she had been praying and lead us not into the station, but deliver us from evil. (laughs) (laughs) um, So you might want to have your children pray out loud once in a while. um, Make sure they know. For everybody listening, I want to, um, first of all, a challenge. If anyone knows or can find out how many tabernacles there are <laughs> in the world, email us at podcast at org. Podcast at org. If anyone wants to do a little research project and find out.
0: It is a finite number, but <laughs> I, yeah, I don't want to try to what, find what out what it? that number is.
1: Yeah. Yeah. But you're good. And find out. I think I've seen numbers before about Some how many smart masses people could, could probably estimate get there. it. Yeah. yeah, you could estimate it because yeah. that would be pretty neat to know. Yeah, we we also have. So we use the Faith and Life series in the Diocese of Tyler um, for our edu- for faith formation for the children. I have here the fifth grade book. It's called Credo, I believe. And the fifth graders go through this, and I I use this one. This is actually from our home library. I used it with my kids. Some of the book, you can see it's been well used. (laughs) Um, But at the end of every chapter, there's just a few questions that come from the catechism, kind of like the Baltimore Catechism does, the St. Joseph Baltimore Catechism. So. We're going to do this. If y'all have kids and you've ever watched like Dora the Explorer, Dora will ask a question and then she'll look at the camera and blink and wait for you to answer. Although (laughs) she can't really hear you, but your children think she can, and so they answer. Try to see if you can answer these. How did the Son of God become man? Luke, you're the director of faith formation.
2: (laughs) He was incarnate in the womb of the Virgin Mary by the power of the Holy Spirit.
1: Yeah, and that... That's the beauty of our faith. We have those quick little answers. Make sure your kids know this though. How did the Son of God become man? Became incarnate in the womb of the Virgin Mary. There's only five questions, one next one. <laughs> did the Son of God cease being God when he became man?
0: No. No way. No. Oh, we didn't give them time to answer, but <laughs>
1: every, everybody knows <laughs> that answer. No, when, but that's where some of the heresies come in. There are heresies that say he did But no, when the Son of God became man, he did not cease being God, but was true God and true man at the same time. That's in the Catechism of the Catholic Church, number 470 and 471. Next question. Are there two natures in Jesus Christ?
2: Is that enough blinking? Yes. Yes, there's a human nature and a divine nature.
1: Right. CCC 469 and 471. So you can look this stuff up and read more about it. Okay, so are there two natures in Jesus Christ? Yes. Are there two persons in Jesus Christ? No. No.
0: He's the second person of the Trinity.
1: Yeah. And that, you know, your kids, this is fifth grade, kids will ask, what they'll stop there and say wait a minute because they'll try to explain this to their friends this happened with us and friends ended up coming over who, who weren't Catholic asking questions trying to stump us mm. <laughs> and, uh, and my kids had to answer but are there two persons in Jesus Christ no only one divine person the second person of the blessed trinity Jesus Christ last question did the son of God always <laughs> exist yes. did the son of God always exist yes <coughs> He always existed, (laughs) he became man at the moment of incarnation. Always existed, became man at the moment of incarnation. So those are, isn't that great? Fifth grade. We're teaching it. (laughs) Thanks to, this is from Ignatius Press, by the way. Shout out to Ignatius Press, who works with us on getting these books for the kids, grades one through eight in the diocese. They're excellent books. I used them with my kids when we homeschooled.
0: Yep. Very good.
1: Okay, well, I think we're getting ready to wrap it up. Um, those questions, we always do something called in the chariot to give you something to pass on and teach, and it was those five questions. So you can rewind if you rewind the podcast and listen to them. Um, to close. Just want to remind you that we are producing this podcast. It's the podcast, it's the St. Philip Institute podcast. Just no fancy name, just the Institute podcast. Um, And our purpose here is to teach you how to teach the faith. We we are passing on how to teach um, because when we ask people what they're hungry for, they want to be able to tell other people what the church teaches. But sometimes a lot of people say to us, they're, they're just not confident that they're going to say it right. And I totally understand that because you don't want to say it wrong. right? Um, and we're trying to help you with that. That's what we're talking about. The beautiful truth of the Catholic Church. Guard the deposit of faith. Stick to the basics. Look it up in the catechism. Luke carries his copy around. (laughs) Um, Look it up online. Look in your children's books. The St. Philip Institute has the way of Christ for teaching um, adults and faith formation. As we're doing this podcast, we have a number of different characters that you will see. So here's us. Luke will be around more now that he's with us. and The bishop is joining us in the podcast so we can teach the faithful and teach everyone out there. Also, Deanna Johnston, who is the director of family life, and Mickey Siva, our catechetical expert, those two ladies do a wonderful episode, series of episodes in the podcast where they're talking more about mommy stuff and women stuff, um, a little more like crafts and things for Advent. And um, we have another team: Father Justin Braun and Doug Berry, who um, that's the men team. They talk more about um, issues. Relevant to everybody, but specifically to men. So we're trying to cover all seasons of life. Um, we're we're the older ones. <laughs> we're in the season of maturity. We're not in the season of wisdom yet, which is 70 and over. Um, but we're trying to cover the seasons of life with your infants, with your young children, with your teenage years. I have um, next year at this time, I'll have four teenage daughters in our house. Um, Luke has... Four daughters. Yeah, they have four daughters. Eight,
2: six, five, and eighteen months.
1: Yeah, so. you're in a very different season of life than <laughs> my children in their teenage years. Um, but we're trying to we're trying to teach the Catholic faith, but also show you how that has an organic connection with how we live our lives. Mm-hmm. It's not just like if you're in the Catholic club, you have to know this stuff. God revealed this to us to show us how to live, show us how to be human. Um, And so that's what we're doing as we pervade the diocese and seep out into the rest of the world. We're trying to change the world. Okay, well, it's time to close. That is the end of this hour, and we will close now if Bishop can give us an apostolic blessing.
0: And just to say, pay attention at Mass when the priest says, the Lord be with you. Um, In the gospel, we just heard for the Immaculate Conception, the angel says to the Blessed Virgin Mary, the Lord is with you. Maybe a little homework to, to discover why that difference. We say the Lord be with you. And in the gospel, the angel says to Mary, the Lord is with you. And so as I offer this blessing, once again, I will use those words that we use at Mass And let's be aware of what the words say and what they mean. Every word at Mass really should have a sacred meaning to draw us closer to the incarnate Son of God. So the Lord be with you.
2: And with your spirit. your spirit.
0: And may Almighty God bless you, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen.